Welcome to another episode of The Rhythm of Rebellion. I'm your host, Taina Asili, and today we have the privilege of conversing with an extraordinary artist and activist. Morally, a multifaceted artist who weaves the threads of jazz, soul, and folk traditions into a singular tapestry of vocal and acoustic splendor. Her life's journey has been marked by a deep devotion to human rights and environmental justice. Morley's latest venture includes the release of her first children's family album, Story of the Sky, in collaboration with her spouse and musical partner, Chris Bruce, created to ignite the imagination and joy of its listeners. Hello, Morley. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I love what you're doing. It's so giving and life-giving. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's such a gift to have you on here. How has your artistic journey and your commitment to human rights and environmental justice, how have they influenced the development of your musical style? Mm, I love that. I have to come back to, to dance because I started as a dancer and I was a choreographer. I had a knee injury when I was, I guess, 19, 20 at Alvin Ailey. I was dancing at Alvin Ailey. I was on their full scholarship program and I was really, you know, really, really deep in it. And then I had this injury and I had to go into the beginning level of dance class and just watch class and just do the bar, which is for people who don't know about dance or ballet, you just hold on to the actual ballet bar and do the exercises that way until I got stronger. But during that time, I would watch class and I started visualizing choreography in my head. And, um, I've always written my feelings down in order to survive whatever I was going through when I was younger, when I was in high school, and when I was a teenager, I was on my own. And I realized that when I was writing like that, I was doing art therapy for myself. I was actually writing poetry. And then later on, when I had that injury a couple of years later, some of those poems or those words came back, and I started putting movement to them. Mm. And so they were like survival poems into survival movement. And then I was blessed to be able to choreograph at Ailey at one of their student recitals and uh, my first piece. And Max Roach attended that performance because his niece was dancing. Oh. Then he came back to another performance and asked me to choreograph his 30th year anniversary of the protest album called We Insist, which was on the recording, you know, it had Ossie Davis, had Abby Lincoln. When he did the live performance, it had a lot of the same performers that were on the album, except Abby Lincoln didn't sing, Cassandra Wilson sang that part. And there was a 30-piece choir and 19 dancers, and, and I choreographed that performance at Aaron Davis Hall with my dear friend Pilar Lynch. So that experience brought me into hearing more clearly the cry for social justice in so many words, for human rights, for dignity. It was a non-negotiable spiritual environment I had walked into you know, to collaborate with these masters. And Ossie Davis was there. And I remember when I met him in the theater during a rehearsal, you know, we shook hands. I said, oh, it's such an honor to meet you, sir. And he said, and you are, and I said my name and what I was doing. He said, okay, I will watch your work and let you know in a moment if it is indeed an honor for me to meet you, too. <gasps> oh, wow. And I was like, damn, okay. <laughs> and then he came, he sat in the theater, he saw the choreographer, and he walked all the way to the back of the theater and he said, my dear, it is an honor to make your acquaintance. Yes! <laughs> He was, he was really hilarious. He was, oh. he was mischievous. But um, yeah, so I think that the dance is the thing that brought me into understanding our roles as 
creative people that we can actually speak in chorus with the grass, with the clouds, with mm. the trees, with mm. the people, with the water for, mm-hmm. you know, in honor of and in chorus with. I never feel like I'm speaking or singing alone. Yes. There's so much collaborative work that you've done sharing a stage with folks, but you also have curated a collaboration that I think is pretty powerful. Borderless Lullabies Mm -hmm. is such a remarkable project. I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about the inspiration behind this initiative and maybe even some of the impact that it's had. Absolutely. The organization that Borderless Lullabies benefits is Kind, Kids in Need of Defense. And it is a pro bono legal defense fund. So lawyers go out and help unaccompanied minors who are sometimes two years old and do not speak English to defend themselves in court. It's insane that this is needed. Hmm. They're all over the world. They're not just in the U.S., but I learned about them through V, formerly known as Eve Ensler. I was at a gathering at her house, and um, she had just come back from El Paso, from the border there. And she told me that she was taken on a tour by the people of kind um, through an abandoned Walmart that was packed with little boys, with children. And there were so many children who had been separated by their families Mm. that they had cots, little cots on the floor. Um, And uh, there were so many children in the Walmart that they had to have names of streets in the aisles. I just kept thinking, what is the opposite of terror? A lullaby. All throughout the centuries, every culture has sung a lullaby to their children. Mm. And that the borders are these man-made ideas. So the idea of borderless lullaby. Mm. And so that's what birth did. I went into the studio with my husband, with Chris Bruce, and a beautiful cellist, Dave Egar. And we just started recording a few songs. And then um, I reached out to you, to Martha Redbone, to Toshi, mm. And then to Jacqueline Woodson, great children's writer, and she's like, yeah, absolutely, I'll read from my book, The Day You Begin. So then Maria Popova offered us to read from one of her beautiful pieces, and then she's like, I'm going to ask my friend to play cello. And then the next thing I know, I'm getting an MP3 sent to me from Yo-Yo Ma. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And then oh. she's like, I have another friend who said that, that she has a beautiful lullaby. She said she could send it. It's only two minutes. I was like, cool, whoever, let, let. Mail Street. Oh, my God. And so far, it's about $30,000 is raised for the Legal Defense Fund. The cool thing is I did through Bandcamp. So it's not available on any iTunes or any Spotify. The money goes directly to the organization. Yeah. And I want to thank you for the gifts that you give to children. I know that you have a recent release uh, called Story of the Sky, which is a children's family album. And I want to know about this idea of making music for children. What motivated you to create music for them? Well, my husband and I were online at a farmer's market in Hudson, New York, and there was a little child in front of us singing, Ring Around the Rosy. And I looked at him, I was like, damn, is that still in rotation? (laughs) And he was like, I believe so. (laughs) And so I thought, you know, we're always talking about how messaging lodges in the psyche and how it develops us when we're young and as we grow, and how it can change us as even when we're older and we read something, it can actually, the messaging can affect our, our consciousness and our psyche and how we move through the world. And I just feel like I have been so focused for so long 
really on teenagers and then older people, like grown-ups. And I was like, what about these developing minds? Um, what about a beginning-of-life narrative? You know, we're getting hip to this idea of an end-of-life narrative. So I was like, what about a beginning-of-life narrative? Mm. And so that's what I was, you know, really interested in doing, is creating a beginning-of-life narrative moral compass project. So the songs, all they address our interbelonging with Mother Earth and with each other. And the songs are in Lingala, from Congo, Tibetan, from Tibet, which, by the way, in both iTunes and Spotify, mm-hmm. you know, I had to upload it all myself, I see that, you know, you have option for languages, and Tibetan is not a language that is not offered. Mm. And, or Odhom, also, because we have Ophelia Rivas, who speaks an Odhom language. And so that's... That's really frustrating when you get online and you see like these huge languages that are not recognized right. by the empire right. <laughs> as being in existence. And in fact, they are. And a lot of them are threatened with, with erasure because of what's happening in Tibet or what's happening in this country. And so I was interested in getting languages that are sort of not heard as much in this uh, context of collaborative compilation albums. And also they just happen to be friends of mine and people I admire greatly. Right. So there's a song that says, I love you, River, in 22 languages. In fact, the families that gave me I love you, River, in Arabic and in Hebrew were both in Palestine and Israel, and I don't know where those families are right now. So there's a lot of current energy in that album as a call for love and healing and recognition of ourself and each other. There's also a song in Tamil. It's just, it's very beautiful. Toshi has a song. There's a lot of songs that... Um, you know, we didn't write that we invited friends to offer. Listen to the full episode of this podcast at therhythmofrebellion.com. Thanks for listening.